Welcome to One Interview, One World. This is Lainey Kay, and this is a show about interviewing people from all walks of life because everyone has a story to share and we can all learn from each other. I hope you enjoy listening. Step five is refire your purpose. Um, I'm not alone in believing that purpose is not something you find. Purpose is something that you have. You've had it from the very beginning. It's a matter of re-firing it or rediscovering it and, um, and, and, and going with it. So that, that can sometimes uh, involve a period of exploration, or it very often does. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're living it, when you're living your purpose, you know it. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons for depression is when somebody is really not living that purpose, when they're not being creative, when they're blocked, there's a blockage, they're not doing what they are, um, sorry with my terminology, uh, what, what they're meant to do. Okay. And I actually happen to, uh, to, to believe that. Yeah, I do um, too. And, and you, you know your purpose is not something you create, but it's, it's rather something that you uncover. And that there are very helpful ways to do that and to find meaning uh, for the rest of your life. Today, I am with Art Mitchell, who is the author of Grateful Not Dead, Rewire Your Retirement, Refire Your Purpose, and Stop Worrying About the Money. He has a doctorate from Yale University in Conservation Biology and has worked for over 40 years as a consultant for climate change adaptation in 17 countries. He is trained as a certified professional coach, focusing on transformation and people who are in life transitions. He works with clients in a supportive and sincere partnership designed to empower people to more fully live the life they want to live with their values and purpose. He is also an author of four other books. So Art, I would love for you to share with us more about yourself and how you came to be helping people with rewiring how they view and deal with retirement and aging. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Um, I, um, as you said in the introduction, I've, I've worked for a long time uh, overseas in 17 countries. And um, I uh, got to a point in my life where I pretty much wanted to be home. I live in, in Fairfax, Virginia. And I wanted to be home and not travel so much and also have a little bit more uh, security uh, as far as income. Um, income as a consultant fluctuates a lot and also um, a sense of community um, belonging to a community so for a whole host of reasons I decided to stop consulting and I'm not in a position where I can stop like that and then go off and live off my savings because um, or, or a pension because uh, a pension obviously I don't get as a consultant and savings are really really difficult when you live a life um, which includes putting kids through college and mortgages and refrigerators that go off and all sorts of things so I would have to have some sort of a steady income and I really like the idea of, of, of coaching and focusing on people such as myself who are facing um, uh, older years, so-called retirement, and, um, and and how the life can really very much change when you stop doing something that you've been doing your entire life and your identity is a bit wrapped up in it, and then you, um, you want to do something new. And... Uh, it, it can be it can be very daunting. It can be very difficult. It can be very confusing. And uh, if money is an issue for the majority of people, it is. It can become uh, extremely depressing and um, and upsetting. So I think I'll maybe I'll, I'll stop that there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know a lot of people are like that. Like I think part of the issue which which I we're going to talk about ageism is that once you retire you feel like you're not entitled to like be in the workforce in a way and I feel that what you're working on is to get people to rewire 
their frame of thinking. So they're like, well, wait a minute, I can do all kinds of things now just because I'm not working my full-time job. What am I going to do with my life and where do I go from here? Absolutely. There's external ageism, but there's also internal ageism, what we've bought into. Mm -hmm. Um, We have developed an image of what it means to be older um, and uh, because of the way our society is, a lot of that is negative. The fear or the worry possibly of dementia all the way to at some point wearing white puffy shoes <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a, a very pleasant prospect for many people but in actual fact it can really be the best uh, part of someone's uh, life well when you say it can be the best part of someone's life why don't you elaborate on that for us yeah well a lot of people um, everybody really uh, spends an adulthood of striving and achieving, uh, making their uh, mark in the world, raising a family, um, all of these these uh, these things, and you can get to a, a point in your life when the things that mattered so much when you were younger no longer matter so much, and other things are becoming more important to you, such as meaning and community and service to others and um so so that sense of striving that sense of trying to impress others um is is lessened and it's it's very it can be very very liberating when people try and hold on to some of these old paradigms they uh, they they can suffer as a result mm-hmm. so it's breaking free to realize that you can do whatever you want. So if you want to work, you should still be able to work. If you want to go do that hobby, you can go do that hobby. But stop letting the way you're thinking limit you and, and feeling... A- 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 absolutely. Now, back to the external ageism. It's very, very real. Uh, in my case, I've worked in, in biodiversity conservation, uh, all sorts of natural resource management projects, uh, international development and coming back to the Washington DC area I thought well I can probably get something with government or with one of the many NGOs that are here because I've got all these years of experience and blah 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 but in actual fact when you are in your mid 50s which is when I first started looking uh, to now I'm 67 um, people will look at your resume or actually interview you and um, decide that you're overqualified and overqualified is just a code word for ageism uh, the other popular phrase is well we would not be able to meet your salary expectations even though they wouldn't even have a clue what my salary expectations are so I don't even look at anything um, that isn't an overseas consulting job anymore I don't look at any any job opportunities that are in this area because it excludes me and um, uh, I, there's isn't really too much I can do about that. But what I can do is I can change my mindset about um, what I can do in, in, for the rest of my life. And uh, that is going to involve doing things that I had not been doing when I was younger. And I'm very happy doing the coaching that I do now. I still do a little bit of consulting, but my identity is not wrapped up in yeah. Well, why don't we touch on the definition for ageism? Ageism, I don't I don't have it specifically in my head. Um, it was a term that was coined by um, somebody in the 1960s. And it's, um, it's discrimination. Um, ageism can go both ways. It can be towards younger people for older people but for older people it's discrimination based on on, on uh, age on being beyond a certain a certain uh, uh, age mm-hmm. and um, the ageism that we're talking about um, disproportionately affects women it affects men without question but uh, with with women it, it affects them uh, in, in many different ways so that's basically it. I mean, there's a very precise definition of it, but it's basically discriminating against uh, people on the basis of their age, and in this case, because they are beyond some sort of uh, arbitrary age. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, 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 you, when you think about 
I, I don't I don't like the word elderly. I don't like the word seniors. I don't like many words at all. And then people ask me, well, what term do you want to use? And I, I, I say, well, why do you even need to have a term? My wife works as a registered nurse in a, a skilled nursing facility, which otherwise known as a nursing home. And people there are between the ages of 50 and 100, and that's a 50-year cohort, and I just would really like to know what that age group has in common, other than the fact that they're all living, they all, all, all need assisted, uh, assisted care. Yeah. Um, you could also shift that down. You could make it, say, between, you know, between 20 and 60. That's a 40 age group. What, what do people between the ages of 20 and 60 have in common? It's mm-hmm. all really very arbitrary, and these are labels that, for some reason, we seem to to uh, feel that we need. But mm-hmm. it's, um, we don't need those labels. Yeah, I agree. And I think we need to look at the reality that people are going to continue to live longer and to stop putting, like, a number on when they think people should retire or a number of when you're considered a senior or older person because it really should just be what are you capable of doing? Well, ideally, yes, that's what it should be. And people are coming into their so-called retirement uh, years with an enormous amount of experience and skills. Right. And right when they're at the top of that, they're, they're pretty much told directly or it's implied or in their own mind Mm-hmm. They tell themselves and society tells them that, well, thank you very much. You've done a great job. You're no longer needed. Right. And, and um, then there is this um, this great feeling of, uh, of inadequacy, a feeling of shame. Uh, I have one client who said uh, um, it, it was as though I had done something wrong. <laughs> Yeah. When she, when she was told to uh, to basically retire and let quote unquote the younger people take over, and uh, she was right at the at the, the peak of her career. Um, so that can be that can be extremely debilitating uh, mentally, mm-hmm. and if people buy into that uh, and don't sort of fight against that that attitude, uh, it, primarily in themselves, because you can't do too much about what's happening outside of you. Right. Um, then there can be this this uh, attitude of why bother? You right. know what's what's the point? Well, I'll tell you what the point is. If you're <laughs> if you're um, uh, in your mid sixties, you've got another twenty or thirty years of life. We are in America living a lot longer than any other generation before. Mm-hmm. But yet our society hasn't really caught up uh, with. With, with that, we still have this mentality of some arbitrary age of 65, which just appeared, I think, in the 1930s as a retirement age, and that um, you're, you're supposed to stop what you're doing, and you should have saved lots and lots of money so that you can go up to Miami Beach and play cards or golf or whatever it is. Quite frankly, I don't think I'm particularly interested in doing that, and I think most people aren't either. Most people just don't want to retire. They want to keep active. They want to keep working. And there really should be no reason why they, uh, they they can't do that. But my point, the idea with clients and the source, of course, I've dealt with myself as well. My point is that in many cases, you are going to, for whatever reason, have to stop what it is you have been doing, the identity that you've, you've had for so long, and, um, and, and do something new, which ideally and probably will draw very heavily on what you've you know the the skills that you've learned throughout your entire life, but there is this uh, attitude of um, um, well, it's it's it, it moves into depression really. Uh, an attitude of why bother? I don't matter anymore. Uh, nobody defers to me anymore. Uh, nobody wants my opinion. And I have worked. Let me go back to the seventeen countries I've worked in. Well, number seventeen is the U.S., so let's exclude that. <laughs> but most of most of the countries I've worked in in Asia and Africa, um, they have a very uh, India in particular. They have a very different attitude towards uh, towards olders. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, it's 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 an honored uh, position, and I have never once had a discussion with anybody. Uh, I've never heard. I've never had to listen to anybody in any of these countries complain about looking after "quote unquote" their their parents or their grandparents, or feeling that it was a burden in any way. In many cases, uh, people 
remain in the family. They help with uh, housework. They help with child care. They help with the finances, and they 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 really do serve as uh, as as mentors to uh, to to the younger people. So people tend to look up. Not all, obviously, but 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 to many, they they tend to look up to. Uh, older people as as being wise uh, because they have lived a very long time and they've learned a lot of things. But the United States, you know, on the surface we can say, well, we take care of our olders very well, you know, healthcare, blah blah blah. But in actual fact, um, just just through our advertising and our our consumer society and, and our society as it is, which is so very very individualistic and materialistic, um, there there is this. Uh, unfortunate sense of uh, the word escapes me but something like um, you're no longer needed um, society doesn't need you anymore um, your kids don't need you anymore it's it's uh, uh, I don't want to get myself depressed here because it's not true for everybody but it, it is true for, for a lot of people and isolation and that feeling of, of right. not uh, not being valued yeah. is very, very common in both men and women. But as I said earlier, and we can talk about that later if you want, but uh, it, it, it certainly affects women disproportionately. Okay. What are some known facts about aging and how our society views the older population? Oh, I wish I had them in front of me because everybody loves numbers. But, uh, well, one thing that I can bring up, which is, which is really unpleasant, uh, is depression is very, very high among uh, older adults in the United States. Uh, suicide is highest among men in their mid-50s um, when these issues really begin to crop up. Mm-hmm. And for women, it's in their 60s. And my understanding is that among adults in general, the highest um, uh, rate of suicide is, is people in their 80s. Wow, that's and, surprising. And, and some of that might be due to health issues, um, financial issues, a combination of all of the above. And um, basically, we need to take care of ourselves, and we need to take care of others, uh, each other, mm-hmm. um, a bit a bit better than than we are. Yeah, um, I feel like as far as numbers, yeah. as far as numbers of, of so-called baby boomers, um, I don't have the millions and millions on the top of my head, but but the but the proportion of uh, older people, uh, say, I don't know, arbitrarily above 60, is much higher than it was, um, say, 50 years ago. And it's projected to become much, much higher. Exactly. Uh, so there are lots of um, lots of issues there. Yeah, that need to be addressed. And I, I feel that we need to incorporate the older generation more into the lives with younger people. And... And realize that they do have a lot of, you know, abilities to share, wisdom to share. They could be mentors, as you say. And, I mean, I would love for, you know, older people to be able to, you know, I've seen I've seen really cool things on Facebook. I don't know of any around me where they'll have, like, people that, older people that know how to fix things. And then they'll have, like, teenagers come in or even, you know adults and they'll help them fix things or if you know i've seen in other countries where they'll have you know young children like maybe before they start going to school interacting with older people so the older people are there as part of their lives like maybe in preschool or in the daycare i just feel like they need to be older people need to i mean it would just be nice to see that because i think it would help Sorry, yeah, I think those are wonderful examples, and we're, we are seeing some of it, but not enough. Uh, there's basically an age apartheid that, that happens, and we have these uh, self-sustaining or whatever uh, retirement communities where everybody there is within a certain age group, and some communities don't even allow anybody under a certain age. Yeah. And I, I find that so peculiar and so, so very sad. Um, it robs... The young, the young people need role models. Mm-hmm. They, they need guidance. And is it just true that everybody who's beyond a certain age is wise and wonderful and has something to teach? Absolutely not. <laughs> but many do. Yeah. And, um, and, and they've gone.
gone through many life lessons mm-hmm. and they've developed many have developed a, a certain amount of compassion and something kicks in for a lot of people as as we get older uh, this this feeling of wanting to give back of wanting to be of service of wanting to um, uh, to, to to make a difference but not always knowing how let me give you one example I um, I, you know, I've been, I've been involved in environmental work most of my adult life, um, environmental protection in different ways, and it's, so it's very easy to become extremely disillusioned, especially when you get into the realm of climate climate disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, situations can look extremely bleak, and you can get into the attitude of of, of why bother. But um, it, it it occurred to me. <laughs> It wasn't like a sudden epiphany or anything, but it, it really hit home when I heard a, a recording by Joanna Macy, um, who um, is an author and talks about uh, the Great Turning, which is a, a transition period that we are, are coming into, or we like to think that we're coming into, um, and is also the uh, the founder of an organization uh, called The Work That Reconnects. Anyhow, she has um, uh, videos on on YouTube, and one has to do with uncertainty. And she was talking about um, there's no guarantee of a successful outcome for anything. And but that shouldn't keep us from from taking action, because there's no guarantee for any. There's no guarantee that I'm going to survive this interview. There, 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 there's no there's no guarantee that someone's going to have a very healthy baby mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that this job is going to work out there's no guarantee that this marriage is going to work out there's no guarantee that we're going to get beyond this climate crisis that we have now but that shouldn't be a reason to not take action and i'm sorry she she says it with such uh, she's so articulate and, 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 and forceful in the way she says it. her name is joanna macy um, that it had a, a great impact on me because I was literally on the couch getting very angry at things I was seeing on the news and, and um, you know, angrily identifying obvious problems that we, that we do, but not really doing anything about it. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it was because of this feeling of, um, of not having a guarantee of a successful outcome before I'll take an action. And when I suddenly realized that, I thought, oh, yeah, that's 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 pretty arrogant on my part <laughs> but that shouldn't keep us from acting and that's true whether somebody wants to get in, uh, involved in activism yeah uh, environmental or, or, or you know social uh, uh, activism or wants to get involved in uh, uh, mentoring uh, tutoring uh, children uh, anything uh, at, at all uh, I I think it was about a year and a half ago it I, I was thinking, oh, I would really love to speak French. I've studied French in the past, and I've never been particularly good at it, but I love the language. I used to be able to read it kind of well. But that was a long time ago. I said, I've got all these tapes, and I've got all these books. Why don't I do that again? And the very first thing that popped in my head was, why bother? Yeah. <laughs> and then, but then, then you stop and think, well, you know, I've why got not? another 20, 20 or 30 years of life, and I'd love to spend the next 30 years speaking French. Yeah. So um, that's that's one example uh, uh, right there, and it's all about mindset. It's all about yeah. uh, 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 doing something, yeah. uh, something new, or getting back into something that you've done before. A lot of so-called baby boomers, people my 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 age, um, we were very much involved in the late '60s and '70s in um, environmental activism, women's rights uh, uh, movement, uh, civil rights. Um, environmental protection um but we um we moved away from that um for good or bad reasons uh, one one reason primarily was um we had to um to take care of ourselves we had to find a way to make money we wanted to have children we wanted to have a house mm-hmm. all of these things and i i don't I, I there's a certain uh, compromise there but a lot of people um for whatever reason uh, simply because of priorities um, pulled away from from that, and for many people my age, it's a time to uh, to get back into that and to really uh, to really make a difference. Just just one example. Right. 
Well, I mean, when you're discussing and saying those things, a couple of things came to my mind. Number one, the squeaky wheel usually makes things happen. So, you know, don't feel like just because you're just one person that you can't make a change. And then I think that it's like a momentum that when a lot of people are saying, no, we don't like this, that that helps bring it to the attention of a lot more people and then it can make things change. So I think it's good not to sit on the sidelines, you know, and complain about it but not do anything about it. So Well, that's, that's the, main, the main thing, and we all do it. Right. And I, I was catching myself of, quite honestly, the tipping point for me was when when was it, about a year ago when all this started, more than a year ago, I don't know, uh, last summer, um, when the children were being taken away from their parents at the border. Mm-hmm. And I was just so upset about that and, and quite angry about it. And then I thought, well, what is there something I can do about it? And yes, there was. And actually, there was a demonstration in Washington, and I participated in that demonstration. It was wonderful. And, you know, demonstrations may not do much of anything i agree but at least it made me feel that i was doing something (laughs) well i think it brings awareness to people and they realize other people care about this too so that's true thank you that 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 is true that is true that 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 was the purpose of it was was the awareness yeah Um, but but it's it's um this feeling of not being able to do something or feeling disempowered or feeling uh You know, sort of on the sidelines, um, is is a, is a terrible a terrible way to be. And, right. Um, I think it's better. Be- yeah, it's better to make uh, a decision to work towards something or make a choice instead of just kind of sitting there worrying about it and not doing anything about it. Right, and this is what I do with people because I, I've done it with myself, and I continually do it with myself. Is is to identify these goals that you want to do. It can be at any life. I just am particularly interested in, in uh, uh, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, because their issues are, are so very, very interesting. Um, but anybody at any life, uh, life stage um, wants to do something. They have a particular goal. They want to set up a business, or they want to write a book, or they want to, to start something new. And um, it can be really, really very, very difficult um, if, if they don't have the motivation and they don't have the steps and they don't have the strategy to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very fortunate in this last book that I wrote, uh, Grateful Not Dead, in having, having a coach that helped me tremendously get through that whole writing process. And as a result, I finished the book. If I, if I had not had somebody keep me on track uh i would still be fussing around with it right now because i'm a perfectionist and it's an illness (laughs) (laughs) um and i think a lot of people can relate to that but what my point is my point is uh we all want to do something we all want to make a change in our own lives and other people's lives but very often you can't um, um you can't do that so well on your own and part of that is because of these inner, I call them inner critters, you know, in, inner critics that say, you can't do that, you're too old, why bother, nobody wants to know this, nobody wants to, you know, yada, 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 until eventually you, you haven't done anything at all. So um, I think overcoming these um, these obstacles is extremely important. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, our, you know, the generation is getting older, and people who are older are working longer, and so, you know, the perspectives of people will change, and I think it is changing, but what what are some suggestions do you have that would help people change that way of thinking and viewpoint? Um, that's a very good question. Um... I would wish I was prepared with some very good answers, but I would say primarily is to really take stock of your situation. And if it's a financial situation, um, and if you are continually depressed and having morning angst and evening angst about how am I going to survive uh, financially, uh, then um, no, no great um, fairy, 
come out of the sky and give you $5 million. I saw something on Facebook the other day. You know, all I need is a hug, a cup of coffee, and $5 million, and I'll be fine. <laughs> but that doesn't happen. And financial insecurity is probably the number one issue for people who are facing it or, or actually in, in retirement. It's, it's the fear of living beyond the money. And the way society is set up, um, it's, um, it's, um, it's, it's really, really quite difficult. Um, things happen to keep us from saving. And, and we're continually given an onslaught of investing and doing this and doing that. And I don't know about you and, and some of your listeners, but raising a family can be very expensive. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. And, and, and all sorts of other things happened. Uh, 2008 happened to me where investments were, uh, um, were pretty much, um, pretty much some were wiped out. Not that I had a lot, but, uh, I was in Marin County at that time in Northern California, and uh, I was going to um, the Marin Employment Center, and they had a weekly meeting of people who were currently out of work and were looking for for work. And these were, for most of them, the majority of them, they were they were professionals. They were people that were laid off, or people that had lost thousands and thousands of dollars in that in that crash, and and were trying to find something new. Uh, what's my point? My point really is that financial insecurity is probably the number one issue for people, and um, sometimes we have to um, uh, to do things to to get by. And I call it. Uh, Elizabeth White uh, wrote a book called Fifty Five Underemployed and Faking It. Her name is Elizabeth White. Mm-hmm. The book is on Amazon, and she said, you know, many of us, um, particularly if we're highly educated and we've held very um, you know, good jobs in the past, we have to come down off our throne a bit and, um, and, and do what she calls bridge work, which is basically something to get us through until, until we, uh, until we're comfortable. Um, and that's, that's one aspect of, of facing the financial situation. I'm not a financial advisor. I, I, there's no way that I can do that. There are many out there, but many, much of the financial advice that we do get through the years is, is really quite bad. Yeah, and it, yeah, financial advice, it just swings and goes up and down, and, and it really just depends on the way the economy is at that time. And as soon as the economy changes, then all that advice doesn't mean a whole lot. So it is, it is a tough one. That, we could talk about that on a whole different subject. But I just feel that what we need to do is work on changing the way that people think about it from the younger generations, especially because if we start there, then they're going to have a different perspective and a view on aging and realize that the older generation has a lot to share and a lot to give. So, I mean, that, that would need to be probably policy changes, but even just a cultural change in the way that we talk about it, which I think is what we're doing. And then just the way we raise children and people to realize that you're going to live a long time you're going to have many different careers and and also life has its ups and downs and ebbs and flows so learning how to deal with it but I would love for you to talk about you know what you focus on in the book which is um, rewirement so maybe you can go over like those 10 steps oh okay um yeah the I laid out 10 steps in the book. It's not necessarily 10 steps in a coaching program or anything like that. But these, these um, uh, are steps not necessarily in sequential order that people who are um, approaching retirement or in retirement uh, need to think about. And the first one, it's, I tried to get cute. Okay, I took the word rewirement. And I made it an acronym, so R-E-W-I-R-E-M-E-N-T. And then, of course, step one will start with an R, and that's recognize your ageism. Uh, some of the things that we've been talking about, um, that the fact that we have this, um, this youth culture that's really, really powerful and really, really strong, um, there, there's a, a lot that we have absorbed because up till now we have been young <laughs> and we, we've 
been thinking about mortality. We haven't been thinking about uh, getting older. And if people haven't really thought about that um, very much or what it means to them or what I will do, um, there, there very often will be, um, will be a problem. Um, there, society has so many myths about ageism. And as I said, we've internalized these myths. And they really do impede our ability to, to thrive as, we're, as we get older. Um, but people don't really have to settle for this discrimination that comes up with, with ages. And they can, they can confront it in themselves. And they can, they can have an extremely happy uh, life in spite of it. Uh, step two is embrace conscious aging. This focuses largely on um, the opportunities and challenges um, that people have as they age and becoming aware or conscious of those, uh, those issues. It's, um, I guess, like an inward journey of self-discovery. I, I, I'm trained as a, um, as a facilitator for conscious aging workshops that are, have been designed by IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in, in California. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an eight-week eight program that, that um, um, touches on several, several issues, such as um, um, what conscious aging is, first of all, but also explores issues, issues such as self-compassion, um, not beating yourself up so much, uh, forgiveness of yourself and forgiveness of others. Another thing would be uh, conducting a life review. Uh, I like to do it in five-year increments, and you think about, well, what did I do between the ages of one and five? <laughs> <laughs> or between the ages of five and ten, or eleven and yeah. 15, 16, or whatever. And who were my major influences then? And it takes a little bit of time, uh, and with some guidance or not, uh, you can begin to see patterns and the things that you have forgotten about. And that life review can be very illuminating. It certainly was for me. Um, we also talk about transformative practices, uh, various things that can be done to change a mindset. Uh, there's a module which has rather a horrible title, uh, Death Makes Life Possible. Um, I don't know why that's a horrible title, but uh, it, it's basically about acceptance acceptance of death, acceptance of impermanence, acceptance of our own death. Mm-hmm. Um, that really hit me yesterday. My son and I took our, I'm going to try and keep it together here, uh-huh. took, took our dog Sam um, to be put down after 13 years. And that was, that's very hard. And I was just thinking impermanence sucks. <laughs> yeah. So basically basically uh, accepting death because death is not particularly interesting for most people and we don't think about it aging death anything no no I'll talk about anything but not that <laughs> please yeah and basically what what it means to um, uh, people in the group talk about what it actually means to them another uh, aspect is surrendering or letting go of things that um, perhaps have been very important in the past or, or letting go of things that you really have no control over. And finally creating at the end is creating a new vision of aging, um, which is what does it mean for me in particular? Cause it's all about me <laughs> <laughs> when you get down to it. Uh, what, what does it mean for me that I'm getting older? Is it this Batan death march to, to you know to nothingness, or, or is it is it a time of life that can be very rewarding and very creative? It should be very creative, um, but for whatever reason, uh, it may not be. And uh, one of the issues might be financial, and if the finances is a big issue that's holding somebody back, they need to um, to face it, to take to take a look at it. Uh, that's the very first step. So basically, through that workshop that IONS Institute of Noetic Sciences uh, developed, uh, the participants reflect on their own attitudes about aging, um, and then apply what they've learned to improve their well-being. Because we all uh, we all want to have secure, fulfilled, and happy lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, goodness. I'm only on step three out of ten. Now, step three is wake up to your values and strengths. 
Um, in this chapter of the book, I talk about um, through a, a series of tests, online tests and, and others, you can get a, a good idea of what your core values are, what your particular character strengths are, your distinctive personality stra- uh, uh, traits. We know about uh, Myers-Briggs and, and uh, as one sort of a personality test, but there are many other tests out there that can, can help you um, narrow down or zero in on your, your values and your strengths. And uh, these are basically things that make you unique. And this can be very important later on when you think about uh, when, when you're, you're, you're trying to develop something, um, something new, perhaps, to do. How best to use your strengths and abilities um, to uh, um, rediscover your purpose as you age. Uh, the next four, the, sorry, the next step is, is uh, four, identify your vision and goals. Um, this is to consider what is your long-term vision and what are your goals that, that you have and what is it going to take to, uh, to, to achieve them. Step five is refire your purpose. Um, I'm not alone in believing that purpose is not something you find. Purpose is something that you have. You've had it from the very beginning. It's a matter of re, refiring it or rediscovering it and, um, and, and, and going with it. So that, that can sometimes uh, involve a period of exploration, or it very often does. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're living it, when you're living your purpose, you know it. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons for depression is when somebody is really not living that purpose, when they're not being creative, when they're blocked, there's a blockage, they're not doing what they are. Um, sorry with my terminology, uh, what, what they're meant to do. Okay. Uh, I actually happen to, uh, to, to believe that. Yeah, I do um, too. And, and you, you know your purpose is not something you create, but it's, it's rather something that you uncover. And that there are very helpful ways to do that and to find meaning uh, for the rest of your life. But there's this continual barrage of consumerism and advertising that keeps telling us how much we lack. And, and, uh, and this is all about, I like the term, aborting the artist within you, um, killing your creativity. And, and, but we, ultimately, we have to take responsibility. Eleanor Roosevelt said nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Right. And there's, there's an enormous amount of truth in that. Um, you can be, get this continual barrage of, you know, how you're not enough, or you're not this, or you're not that. But, but, but at the end of the day, it's, it's you who, who makes the choice of what's, um, what's real or not, or what you accept and what you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, uh, can also be very difficult because a lot of these um, impressions or um, Myths uh, came into our lives when we were very, very young. Um, now, the next step is envision your work. If, well, as I said earlier, probably the majority of people, certainly the people that I encounter, don't want to quote unquote retire. They resent the term. They want to keep working. They want to keep contributing. They want to keep doing what they've learned to do. Now, there are some that are. That's fine as long as they have something else to do, <laughs> and not just um, you know live that dream of uh, being on the beach, uh, you know, with pina coladas and I don't know playing. Car- I, I really I just I just don't know. And I, I I think I think when many people do have that opportunity to to live that way, uh, if, if there isn't a sense of meaning or purpose or service, uh, it can become it can become depressing. Right. Uh, so. Uh, people need to envision new work and if someone is in real financial difficulties it might mean as I said earlier as Elizabeth White said come down off your throne you might have to do something that uh, you might initially feel is beneath you but uh, that's just a a limiting belief Uh, um, then the next one is manifest your prosperity Um, I I, I came up with that because I had to find out something that started with an M (laughs) But this really has to do with money, and um, but it, it doesn't have to do with um, advice on finances or investing. It has to do with money shame, 
and uh, money uh, scarcity and fear. Uh, it's it's a, a mindset of, of lack that uh, holds us back. So I talk about that a lot in Chapter 7 or in Step 7 mm-hmm. um, about how we can come uh, overcome that. Uh, Liz Twist has written a wonderful book called The Soul of Money, which I, I recommend to anybody. It uh, goes into great depth about these uh, money myths that we have and, um, and the shame that many of us have around money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that much of that came into our lives uh, from our birth families. Um, step eight is expand your consciousness. There are a variety of ways of, of doing that. I was talking about baby boomers, and uh, many of us did experiment with psychedelics when we were young. This is not something <laughs> that, that I'm, I'm promoting, and the word psychedelic brings up a lot of, it, it conjures up a lot of uh, sort of amusing images from Timothy Leary and, and all the rest. But in actual fact, um, it, it uh, was extremely important in advancing consciousness uh, in, in our species. Uh, I don't think we would be where we are technologically uh, with, without it. Um, um, I'll give a quote from Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalome, who wrote a wonderful book called um, From Aging to Saging. And that book was so influential on me, uh, so influential that it, it, it got me to think about writing this book. His name is, it's, a, it's an awkward, it's a, it's a, well, I don't know, it's a, it's a long name, Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi. <laughs> yeah. And he said, why, why should anybody live longer than the time of begetting and raising their children? If we do live longer, then nature must have a task. There must be a purpose. The purpose is to hothouse consciousness, generation by generation, so that the older generation can submit excuse me, can transmit something to the younger. So expanding consciousness is all about transformation. It does not necessarily, please, for a very limited number of people, it would be very useful, very helpful. It's definitely a tool. But there are many other tools and methods to, to expand your consciousness. It's basically get your, get your mind out of thinking uh, about the world as being in a certain, a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sense a lot of your listeners pulling away from me here, so. <laughs> but but I do have an entire chapter on that, and uh, um, there there are many many ways of doing this. Meditation, of course, yoga, uh, holotrophic uh, uh, breath work, mm-hmm. and uh, something that has been very very uh, prevalent in uh, Silicon Valley for many, many years, and that's uh, uh, microdosing for focus and, and general well-being. Anyhow, I talk about that in the uh, in the book. Okay. Um, step nine is know the numinous, which is dealing with spirituality. Um, in the book, you can understand how or come to an understanding how spirituality in whatever form you choose and maintaining a spiritual practice can be of tremendous benefit to you for conscious aging and, and living a purpose with creativity. Um, I am trained by Veriditas uh, to, um, to do labyrinth walks. I, I find the labyrinth is a wonderful um, walking meditation. It has three steps. You walk into the, first of all, a labyrinth is not a maze. A maze is all about getting lost. A labyrinth has one way in and one way out. And it's, it has three steps. One is um, you're walking in and you're releasing. Let's say you go in with a particular issue. You're trying to forgive somebody. In my particular case, I did a labyrinth once that dealt with forgiveness of my father. And you walk in and you release. You try and release these feelings that you have or at least consider them. It's a releasing stage as you're walking in. Right in the center of a labyrinth, that's that's the point of receiving you stop and listen some people would say a higher power some people would say god some people would say it's yourself but it's basically quieting your mind to get um a resolution or, or an understanding of, of of the problem and uh it works <laughs> and then the third part is return where you leave the center of the labyrinth and you walk you spiral back out and you return back to the world taking back with you what uh, what you've learned 
So I, I love that as a spiritual practice. It can also it can be done actually walking. It can be done uh, as a finger labyrinth. And in that chapter, I talk about that. But uh, okay. certainly not just about the labyrinth. Um, yeah. It, it, it's about as we do get older, we do think more about things spiritual and um, issues of, uh, of an afterlife. Is there one? Is there not? What happens to us when we, you know, when we're younger, we don't, many people, many people don't really concern themselves with such things. Um, but uh, anyhow, and then the final one is take back your power. This is sort of how you can become empowered to engage in service, uh, taking all that you've learned, uh, taking your new sense of well-being and understanding uh, back into your community um, and it could be environmental it could be social justice it could be uh, serving um, uh, anybody tutoring whatever is linked to your purpose and whatever resonates with you but but basically it's all about taking back your power and saying I do have this power to make a change in myself and I have a power the power to make a change in, in, in others and if I don't like the way things are going environmentally or politically well i can you know in my own way i can do something about it yeah so um um yeah it sounds like the book so that, really goes so that, in that, detail that, that, that's pretty much it so but basically um the the conclusion is is um people in, in older years are concerned about a legacy what am i going to leave and it's not necessarily money it's like what will people remember me about? And I maintain that really the most impactful and loving act that a person can do as a legacy for their children and their grandchildren is uh, is to be a role model, is to be a role model for conscious aging and uh, being actively engaged. Uh, we need to show younger people how good the later years can be. And we do that by our good example, not that we're just sitting around feeling miserable for ourselves and complaining um, which were some of the role models that I had, <laughs> but rather show them that their later years are, are not something to be regarded with dread and shame. Um, they, and that the younger people, your children, your grandchildren, just by seeing you, uh, are going to have, um, are going to be very much impacted. Uh, they, and they're going to learn that they don't have to buy into all these lies and, and, and the pain that, that we've overcome to get where we are now. So they can see that the older years can be a time of great anticipation, a time of great personal growth, uh, writing a book, doing a little dance, um, you know, not necessarily going crazy, but, <laughs> but it's a time of anticipation and personal growth and hope. It's a time when uh, it should be when all comes into alignment for you um, and that you realize, you come to realize that you're exactly where you need to and that you are right here and you're not over there and right now and it's not earlier and it's not later you're here now and you're making an impact and you're having a happy life yeah that's beautiful i love that did you want to give any further detail about working with clients yeah i i, I do one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching and i also do groups and i do talks i speak but my main focus is one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching. And if anybody is interested in this book, I didn't write this book to make sales because I'm not famous and I'm not Michelle Obama and I'm not John Clancy. Or <laughs> I'm not J.K. Rowling. And it's a bit of a, um, a conceit to think that when someone writes a book or a deceit, uh, that they're going to make uh, all this money. So my book is not about sales. I give this book away. And I give it to anybody who wants it as a PDF. Uh, absolutely no strings attached. Um, but in the event that somebody, that something resonates and that they would like to speak with me about coaching, then I, I provide my, uh, my phone number and my email. Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be all those steps. I mean, I did those steps just to make a coherent book. But the coaching is basically about what do you want to do? What are you trying to achieve? And how can I help you get there? And then we design a program 
on on doing that. So it could be uh, really almost almost anything. So yeah, that's um, that's what I do, um, and I'm I've dedicated the rest of my life to doing this. So anybody who would like a book who's listening, <laughs> mm-hmm. please contact me. I'll send it to you, no strings attached. It's a PDF. It's also on Amazon uh, as a Kindle. If somebody wants Kindle, you have to pay for that. And the print version has just been picked up by a publisher in New York, uh, Morgan James. I'm happy about that. And it will come out uh, probably not until October. But in the meantime, I have a PDF file of it. Um, If anybody would like it, just let me know. Okay. And then how can people find you? What would they look under? Probably the easiest way, really the easiest way to convey on this call is just email me at artmitchell at hotmail.com. Art Mitchell, A-R-T-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L at hotmail.com. As old school as that is. And that's good enough. But please, in the subject line, put Grateful Not Dead. Because that is an email that I use that gets a lot of uh, of traffic. (laughs) So in the subject line, please put uh, Grateful Not Dead. And again, my email is artmitchell at hotmail.com. I live in Fairfax Station, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., but I I have clients all around the world. Uh, The way technology is, you don't need to be in the same community. I I do almost all of my coaching over the phone. Yeah, you sound like you'd be a great coach. I loved all the things you've said. I like to ask people uh, a final question, and it is, what do you feel humanity needs to work on to make this world a better place? Oh, well, wow, uh, that's quite a question. Um, there's so much. I know. But honestly, given my bias and given my focus, it really is uh, what humanity needs is to change its consciousness uh, collectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cannot keep going on the way we are uh, with this consumer materialistic society. Uh, I've lived in many, many countries, and... Uh, Uh, People get by with much less, but many countries, as they're developing, are trying to emulate what we do in the United States. I don't know, somebody said however many births it would take um, to, uh, or the resources available in the earth to to support everybody on this planet at the level, the standard of living that we have in in the United States. It's really all about uh, a transformation of consciousness, and I like to think it's happening. Um, I see it a lot. Um, is it slower than I would want? Yeah. <laughs> but that transformation, and we've all heard this before, takes place in ourselves individually. And as you are changing and transforming yourself, you are then in a position to um, make a very effective change in, in, in other people. And in that connection, I would say one of the most powerful forces is, uh, is, is people in their later years, people entering into their 60s, 70s, 80s with all of the experience um, that they have to harness that. Because consciousness does change as you get older. It does. Uh, your priorities change. And um, uh, for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with all of that you said. And it does. It starts with ourselves. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it, Art. Yeah, thanks. There's a little quote here, if we have time. Sure. It's, it's a quote I have at the end of the book, and I just love it. And, of course, you're not going to get all the lead up to the quote, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, it, as a standalone, it's very nice. It's by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's out of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Still round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate. And though I oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon, east of the sun. Nice. So there's always a possibility. There are always new, new roads, new gates. And we haven't seen them before when we were younger, but now, now we, can, we can go through them. Exactly. Exactly. You're looking at different things and different perspectives, and you get to think about so much differently, you know, life differently. You don't have all that weight, like you say, of raising a family and, you know, 
it's easier and you have you have freedom now like there there but there's still many challenges yeah um, there's the iliad and the odyssey the iliad is your adult you know, it's the war of adulthood the odyssey <laughs> is uh, being lost at sea for 10 years and the challenges is ulysses is trying to get back to ithaca and penelope but my point is that there are definitely challenges in the later years without question i'm not going to be so cavalier as to say they there there aren't um Right. But many of them are, are of our own making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can overcome them. Yeah, you can overcome them. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.